want to just encourage you to find 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12. We'll be looking there together in just a few moments as we're going to wrap up our series on, uh, on Amazing Grace this morning. But before we jump into that, it just uh, it certainly seems appropriate just in light of events that have been unfolding in the past few days in uh, Minnesota, Louisiana, and Dallas, Texas. It's for God's people all over this nation to just slow down a moment and to pause and to maybe just recognize the reality of, of what's happening around us in a society and, and just to come before the Lord in prayer. The scripture encourages us to, to weep with those who are weeping. And it seems that may be an appropriate place for us to start, but also that God might truly break our hearts over just where we are as a nation, as a people, and that we might truly, beginning with God's people, return to him. And so I I just want to invite you this morning, if you will allow me, just to lead us in a few moments of prayer, just focusing on these events of recent days and our nation as a whole. Would you bow your heads with me as together we we pray, please. Father, we do come before you as a people somewhat shocked, confused, a little dazed, uncertain what to make of all that's been unfolding Videos, opinions, political bantering, in the midst of it all, grieving families. And Father, just right now, we just come alongside families that are grieving in Minnesota and Louisiana in Dallas, Texas. We pray for communities that are brokenhearted and torn apart. Father, we pray for these families today as they weep and mourn. Would you be their comforter as only you can comfort? Would you bring to them a peace that cannot be explained any other way? Lord, would you use the body of Christ to be part of a support system to come alongside these families as they pick up the pieces and try to figure out a new normal, try to figure out what a future is going to look like that is very, very different from the future that they imagined. And Father, we ask you just to take these families and hold them so very, very close. And Father, we lift before you our police and law enforcement officials in this community and communities all across this land. And Father, we pray for just a hedge of protection around them. Father, we pray for wisdom as they discharge their duties to protect and to serve. We pray, Father, that you would just give them the supernatural capacity to quickly discern situations, to understand the the, the best approach. Father, we pray that you would surround them with a heightened level of support even as we ask you to be their protector and their guide. And Father, even as we pray for your comfort, we pray for justice. 
We pray, Father, not for an escalation of violence, but that truly this would be a land of justice. And Father, there, there, is, there is no room, uh, regardless of, of your political affiliation, for injustice to take place. And so, Father, we, we'd ask for you just to, to be the God who allows justice to move in our systems. We pray that you would, Lord, just graciously quell the violence and replace it with your love. Oh, Lord, we just pray for our nation during these days because, Lord, we, we know that just what we have seen, what we have heard, what we have read over the past few days, it, it, it reveals something about us. It reveals that there are still so many roots of racism and prejudice. There's so many hearts still filled with anger and hatred. There is a pervasive lack of love for you and for one another. And Father, we just, we just come and we confess that before you as a people. We come and, Father, ask that you would just, oh Lord, graciously bring us to brokenness over this. That you would bring us to, to repentance Father, we cry out just recognizing our need for revival and our need for spiritual awakening. And Father, we ask that you might graciously just begin that work deep within us. And Lord, we pray for institutions uh, that are a part of the fabric of our society. We, We pray for homes and churches, schools. We pray for our government, media. Father, we pray that in all of those environments you would raise up godly leaders, those who could be, those who would lead us toward a peace, a peace first and foremost with you and, and with one another. Father, we ask that you would just take these, these events and break open the hearts of individuals to you. And Father, while we recognize the need for institutional change, we still recognize that the deepest change is in the hearts of every one of us as individuals. And Father, would would you just graciously move in a catalytic moment like this and bring us to our knees, cause us to fall upon our face, cause us, Father, to anew and afresh seek you, to seek your face, to turn from our wicked ways, to cry out in prayer. And Lord, we ask you to move in our hearts and to heal our land. Father, we pray this together now in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being a part of that time and certainly encourage you just to continue to pray for uh, our nation and our land. We're wrapping up this series on amazing grace, and I hope if, if nothing else out of this series, you've just been reminded of the, uh, of the incredibleness of God's grace, this, this multifaceted jewel as we've been talking about it, that, is, that, that it just impacts every single area of our life. And if we can think about it in, in, in broad terms, uh, grace is used in the New Testament in, in two very distinct but two very complementary ways. And we've tried to talk about both of those in this series. The first way that grace is used is it talks about God's unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor that is freely given to us from which salvation and all other blessings come. That is the foundation of our relationship with God. It is this unmerited favor freely given to us. And very often when you read the word grace in the New Testament, It's 
talking about that unmerited favor. But there's, there's another complementary way that grace is used. And when you read this in the New Testament, it's not only talking about God's unmerited favor, but it's talking about God's divine assistance. God's divine assistance to us through the Holy Spirit. It is God's enabling grace, empowering grace, God's strengthening grace, all of these things that we've been uh, talking about through this series. That is, it is this divine assistance. And so sometimes when you read grace, it is talking about the grace of God's divine assistance to us. But while that grace is available and freely available to us, there are some barriers that we're going to have to overcome. In order to experience both aspects of God's grace in our lives, we must move past self-righteousness and self-sufficiency. Self-righteousness, the, the idea that we could ever be made right with God on our own, that there's anything we could do in ourselves to make ourselves right with God. Grace just stomps all over that and says it's impossible. It is God's unmerited favor to us. But if we're going to experience his divine assistance, we have to come to the point where we give up our self-sufficiency, where we recognize that our sufficiency is from God. It's actually only when we recognize our weakness that we are in the best place to experience his strengthening, his sufficient grace. That's what Paul talks to us about as he tells a little bit of his background in 2 Corinthians 12. He talks about, interestingly enough, his weakness. Now, we don't like to talk about that, right? And the fact is, if you ever go to a job interview, the most dreaded question usually is something around our weakness, right? Uh, the question comes in some form, uh, tell me, maybe the interviewer asks, what is your greatest weakness? Anything. What am I supposed to do with a question like that? Because like if I, if, I, if I say, well, I don't really have any, then, then I come across as really uh, arrogant and out of touch. But if, maybe if I say that I've got this weakness, it'll cost me the job. And so what do I do when, when that interviewer asks me about my weakness? Well, the job search site monster.com has some strategies for answering that question. Maybe you've employed some of these. One approach is to disguise your weakness as a strength. So you might say something like, well, you know, I'm really such a perfectionist. I sometimes just expect too much of myself and others, right? That's, that's one way to talk about your, your weakness. Another way is to kind of minimize your weakness, talking about it, but then quickly just kind of turning to how you have overcome it. So you might say, well, you know, I'm really a, a task-oriented person, but... What I have learned is that if you really have to be able to work with people to, to get anything done. And so you, you kind of quickly move past that weakness. The third strategy that uh, the website recommends is to share a real weakness, but it's a weakness is like totally unrelated to the job, right? Uh, so that, you know, you're applying for this, this job as an accountant or, or something, and you say, well, I, I'm just really weak musically. I just have no musical talent at all. Like anybody cares if their accountant can sing or play an instrument or not, right? Uh, but you admit kind of a weakness that has absolutely nothing to do with the position you're seeking. Interestingly enough, though, when you come to 2 Corinthians 12, Paul doesn't employ any of those strategies. He talks about his weakness. 
And if we can think about him kind of applying for a job, what you have to conclude in these first 10 verses of 2 Corinthians 12 is that Paul has a rather strange resume. He has a rather strange resume. And I want us to look at this, a little context. He, he, he kind of talks about boasting, and in part because there are some false teachers, false apostles, and they're, they're kind of brandishing about all of their credentials. And Paul is just reminding the Corinthians of, of, of his experience and the authority uh, that he speaks from. But, but he does it in a most interesting way. Let's unpack Paul's resume as it comes to us in 2 Corinthians 12. First thing I want you to see is that God honored him. God honored him. Now that sounds like a pretty good way to start your resume out, right? Let's look at the first six verses. I must go on boasting. Well, there's nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man, and he's talking about himself, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was called up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was called up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though, if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me when he sees me or hears from me. Now, what in the world is he talking about here? Well, he's talking about, at least at first, of himself in the third person, and that would have been kind of a, a, a common, perhaps, way of a Jewish leader or teacher uh, to communicate in that day, and he's talking about some of the, the things that God has have allowed him to experience. And he talked about how God honored him. God honored him with visions. And we don't have the time this morning to, to look at all of these, but just have included some of the visions that are recorded in the New Testament uh, that Paul experienced, whether it was that experience on the Damascus Road or the Macedonian call or, or different uh, visions of encouragement or encounter uh, with an a angel there. And I think I need to correct one reference. Uh, the last one there should be 27 verse 23, not verse 11, 2723. Uh, but it has this just a series of visions. So as you read the New Testament, you say, Paul had some unique opportunities. Paul got to encounter some things, to see some things that, that most of us never get to experience. Paul had these visions, but not only uh, visions, but, but talks about revelations. Revelations, and there, again, a couple of references that you may want to uh, chase down in your personal study there along the way, but, but there were things that were given to Paul by divine revelation from Jesus Christ. There were things that he did not learn from uh, through another human being, but learned directly from God. And he talks about that in Ephesians and Galatians. And he talks about the, these revelations that were given to him. These are just kind of incredible credentials that he has. And then here in 2 Corinthians, he talks about that the, the God mercifully, in an incredible act, taking him to heaven. He takes him to heaven, to paradise, to this, this place of God's presence, and he, and he sees things and he hears things that he, he can't even really articulate. He can't put into words. He is not even given full permission to, to utter and to share all of those things. And, and sometimes you just think about 
all that Paul got to experience, you think, wow, what an incredible resume. I mean, Paul, wow. I mean, Paul, if I were applying for a position, if I were trying to kind of hold myself up as the, the one the Corinthians should have been listening to, I would have stopped right there. But not Paul. Paul kept going. He not only talked about the fact that God honored him, but he talked about the fact that God humbled him. That God humbled him. So right after talking about these visions, revelations, and this experience in, in, in the presence of God, he, he didn't even know if he was in the body or out of the body, but he knew that he, was, he, he just had this opportunity to see that something that most of us never, ever, ever get to see in this lifetime. And then he turns around and talks about how God humbled him. Verse 7. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. He talks about a thorn. I've had these visions, these revelations, this incredible experience in heaven, in paradise. But then, then there was given to me a thorn. Sometimes when we think about thorn, we think about, you know, something that pricks our finger when we're working in the, in the flower garden or, or something that catches us as we're walking through the woods or something. But the word here is, is more than just a little prick on the skin, but it's, it's more about a stake. It's more about this sharp instrument. So, so that he's talking about this, this incredibly, incredibly painful thing. He talks about this, this thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Now, for many, many years now, people have speculated, well, what, what is this thorn, right? And some folks say, well, it's, you know, he talks about his eyesight, and maybe it's his eyesight. Other folks say, well, maybe it's malaria or something. Or other folks say, no, 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 you're misunderstanding. If you really read the context, you can see clearly uh, that he uses the word messenger, and, and that, that always talks about a person. And so he's talking about maybe some persecution from people or maybe some of these false apostles that he's just kind of counteracting. And on and on and on the theories go. The truth of the matter is we don't know. And it's probably a good thing, isn't it? Because you, you know what we'd do, right? We'd compare, wouldn't we? Well, I ain't so bad, Paul. Y'all be in my situation, yeah, I, 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 right? Okay, you wouldn't do that, but the people sitting around you would, all right? Uh, compare. We do it all the time. He just kind of leaves it there, and maybe God in his wisdom just said, that's enough, Paul, that's enough. But please understand, when you hear thorn, don't hear Minor irritation. Here, stake. Here, sharp instrument. Something driven deep within him. Something that was a severe hindrance and perhaps even a handicap. And he talks about it as being a, a messenger of Satan. But to understand the, the overall context that he understood it was, it, yes, Satan was involved, but, but ultimately God is the, the one who had allowed this to happen, who brought this to bear in his life. Said another way, Satan may have been the immediate cause, 
But God was the ultimate cause. And we, we've talked about in this series that, that part of understanding and, and, and appropriating God's grace is, is understanding his sovereignty, understanding his, his rule. Even when things don't make sense, even when things are so incredibly, incredibly painful. But to understand that, that while there may be many immediate causes, that God is sovereign over all of those things. And ultimately, God is orchestrating that for his purposes. So that when Paul began to, to think about this thorn in the flesh, this, this glaring weakness in his life, he came to understand that it was very, very painful, but it was purposeful. That, that God had a purpose in allowing this in his life. Back up to verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. That Paul understood that this thorn was so incredibly painful. But it was purposeful. I love the way that Herschel York talked about this passage. He said, has it ever occurred to you that the very thing, the very thing that you most want removed from your life might be the very thing God uses in the greatest way for his glory? Would you just sit with that statement for a moment? Could it be? Could it be that that thorn in the flesh that you have pleaded with the Lord to remove may be the very thing that God uses in your life to bring the greatest glory to him and the greatest good through your life. Now please understand, Paul very appropriately pleaded with the Lord in prayer. And notice those words there. I, I, I pleaded three times, reminiscent of, uh, of the Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane, that, that, that repetition, that, that continual pleading to remove this cup. He, he's praying for the removal of this thorn. It is appropriate. It, when, when you experience this, this thorn, when you experience this, this unwelcome circumstance or situation, when you're going through this, this terrible circumstance, when, when, when you're being treated unfairly, and unjustly, it is always appropriate to cry out to God. It is always appropriate to, to, to plead with him. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Absolutely, without apology, carry that to the throne. But please understand that when we come before God, it's not just saying, God, here's my list, hurry up and do it. But prayer is also saying, God, I need to hear from you on this. I need to hear about your perspective on this thorn. What we come to learn, hopefully, in life's journey is that we do not know the truth about our situation until we've heard from God. And maybe there are some of you here this morning and you've been wrestling with this thorn in the flesh and you've been pleading and pleading, God, take it away, God, take it away, God, take it away. And he hasn't taken it away yet. And that doesn't mean he won't. It just means he hasn't yet. And it may be before 
that happens, if it ever does, God's asking you to listen. To get his perspective on your circumstance, on your situation, on your challenge, on your problem, on your difficulty, on that person. Come before him and say, Father, help me to understand. What is it that you're up to in the middle of this thorn in the flesh? Because you don't know the truth about your situation until you have heard from God. God honored him. And then God humbled him. And then as kind of the last part of Paul's resume, God helped him. God helped him. Verse 9. But he said to me, he's pleading and pleading and pleading. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's not very American. I mean, when I'm strong, I'm strong. But Paul says, I'm not going to boast in my strengths. They're all God-given anyway. But what I have discovered is that in my weakness, in my weaknesses, I experience God's strength. As Paul pleaded, he, he didn't get a total explanation. Nowhere do we find this text that, that God gave him like a, a detailed report as to exactly why this thorn at this time and this way and how long it was going to last. And He didn't get all those answers. But he did get a promise. He did get a promise that my grace is sufficient for you. As you cry out to God, you say, well, Jeff, just a moment ago, you said, you said I need to get God's perspective, and we do. But, but in saying that, that doesn't mean that you're always going to get every answer to every question you might ever have. And while you may not get a total explanation this side of eternity, God does offer you a promise. His grace is sufficient is sufficient. And this grace that God promised him was a sufficient grace. It was sufficient. Whatever it is, Paul, whatever it is that you're going to deal with, my grace is sufficient. Whatever it is I'm going to deal with, whatever it is you're going to deal with, God's grace is sufficient. It was not only a sufficient grace, but it was a strengthening grace. It was a grace that would give him the strength to meet the demands of reality. For my power is made perfect in weakness. When I am weak, then I am strong. And he began to understand the implications of that promise that God would meet him in every moment of his life with a grace that was sufficient, a grace that was strengthening where he was weak, 
And that in his weaknesses, he experienced a supernatural empowerment, a supernatural strength sufficient for that moment, for that day. We all have those thorns in the flesh, don't we? And probably as people of some level of faith, we at some point cry out to God in prayer. If we don't do it immediately, maybe eventually. We, we cry out to God about that thorn in the flesh. And when you cry out to God in that thorn in the flesh, there are a couple of things that may happen. The first thing is that God may release you from it. God sometimes releases you from it. God sometimes heals that disease. Sometimes God moves you to a different situation. Sometimes God changes that person's heart and mind and behavior. Sometimes God removes that person from the situation, whatever it might be. But sometimes God in his grace releases you from it. And when that happens, this is when we tend to do our happy dance, right? This is like, you, yeah, let me tell you. And this is when we start saying things like, oh, God is so good. God is so good. Let me tell you what God did. God healed this. God gave me this job. God took that nap horrible neighbor away whatever we're just and we should do all that it's okay as a baptist it's okay to do a happy dance all right you're you're permitted all right do it before the lord and just yes give him glory give him gratitude give him thanks absolutely sometimes when you plead to god he doesn't release you from it But he remains with you in it. He remains with you in it. Your body is not healed. The situation doesn't change. The person's heart remains hard. You still are in that same job situation or neighborhood situation or relational situation. And it remains. And you're still treated unjustly. But he remains with you in it. Now, hear me, hear me on this. When that's the answer, we tend not to do our happy dance, right? Sometimes we tend to do exactly the opposite. We kind of, oh, woe is me. But can I tell you this morning, can I encourage you can i challenge you that god is just as good when he remains with you in it as he is when he releases you from it you've heard that expression god is good all the time right and all the time god is good what i have discovered through the years is people repeat that a lot more after god releases them from it than when he remains with them in it But it is true regardless of the answer. God is good when he releases you from it. God is good and wise and loving and grace-filled when he remains with you in it. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Dr. Henrietta Mears was an incredible woman. She was used mightily 
to strengthen the evangelical church in this community and really across the world through her discipleship, through her writing. She was the founder of Gospel Light Publishing. She wrote the million-plus best-selling book, What the Bible is All About. She was incredibly influential in the shaping of the ministries of Billy Graham in the early years, of Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, of Richard Halverson, who went on to become the chaplain of the United States Senate, and so many, many, many others. But what many folks didn't know about Henrietta Mears is that from childhood she had an extreme myopia. She had such a general eye weakness and irritation that at times it made it just almost impossible to see anything. And like Paul, she cried out on multiple occasions for relief, but to no avail. In her more mature years in her walk with Christ, she came to the conclusion, and we've given you her quote in the outline, I believe my greatest spiritual asset through my entire life has been my failing sight, for it has kept me absolutely dependent upon God. Let's face it, most of us don't sign up for that, right? No, 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 God, what I want from you is perfect health, a good amount of wealth, wonderful relationships, an American dream, protected kids, and all, yeah, on and on our list goes. That's what we want. Keep those thorns in the flesh to yourself, please. But could it be that along life's journey, what we'll discover is that sometimes our weaknesses, sometimes the hurt places, the broken places, are the places that carry with them the greatest blessings because they force us, they lead us to a dependence upon God that we experience not just our strength, but his strength. We experience grace that is more than sufficient. Here's the bottom line of this entire message. God's grace is sufficient. It's sufficient for anything. Yes, that includes your situation, your circumstance. It is sufficient for anything you are facing right here, right now, or will ever face in your life. That is why you can move forward with a confidence. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what's around the next corner. People at a traffic stop in Minnesota and Louisiana didn't know what was going to happen. Police officers, when they were working this this, uh, protest, didn't realize what was going to happen. We don't know. But what we know is that God's grace is sufficient for whatever you're facing or whatever you will face in your entire life. But I need to remind you that you got to go get it. What I mean by that is you have to appropriate God's sufficient grace every single day. 
sometimes moment by moment. Let me tell you about one other incredible woman. Many of you know the name of Johnny Erickson Tata. She was an athletic young woman, broke her neck diving into the shallow waters of the Chesapeake Bay. She ended up being paralyzed from the neck down. And in that moment, as this athletic young woman, she lost nearly all her physical abilities. Even the simplest of chores became almost impossible for her. And understandably, along with those physical disabilities came emotional despair and spiritual struggles. She was depressed, yes, suicidal. She struggled emotionally, spiritually. At her lowest point, when it seemed that absolutely everything had been taken away from her, she turned to Christ and discovered that his grace was enough for her. For a long time, she asked God to take it away. What a testimony that would be, right? What a testimony it would be if she were healed, if she got up out of that wheelchair and could, could move about. What a testimony that would be. But God did not release her from that wheelchair. He said, I will remain with you in that wheelchair. And now, discovering that his strength is made perfect in her weakness, more than 30 books, artwork, speaking, an organization that has touched millions of people across the world, confined to a wheelchair with virtually no physical strength whatsoever, she's changing the world by God's grace that has been more than enough for Johnny. But she's had to appropriate that grace every single day. She tells a story of being in a ladies' restroom during a Christian women's conference. A well-meaning <clears throat> woman who was putting on lipstick in front of the mirror said to her, Oh, Johnny, you always look so together, so happy in your wheelchair. I wish I had your joy. Several women around nodded, Yes, yes. How do you do it, they asked. Johnny replied, I don't do it. Let me tell you how it works. After my husband Ken leaves for work at 6 a.m., I'm alone until I hear the front door open at 7 a.m. That's when a friend arrives to get me up. And while I listen to her make coffee, I pray, Oh, Lord, my friend will soon give me a bath, dress me, sit me up in a chair, brush my hair and teeth, and send me out the door. And I don't have the strength to face this routine one more time. I have no resources. I don't even have a smile to take into the day. But you do. Lord, may I have yours. God, I need you desperately. The women listened. One of them blurted out. So then, what happens? What happens when your friend comes through that bedroom door? I turn my head toward her. And I give her a smile sent straight from heaven. It's not mine, it's God's. And so she said, gesturing to her paralyzed legs, whatever joy you see today was hard won this morning. God's grace has been enough for Johnny, but she's had to appropriate it every single day. And so do we. God's grace is sufficient. 
It is sufficient for anything that you are facing or anything that you ever will face in your life. But if you're going to experience the sufficiency of God's grace, you have to appropriate it every single day. Go back and re-listen to a message earlier in this series on sustaining grace. We talked at length there about how to appropriate God's grace. Every day, you have got to appropriate God's sustaining grace. This week, I had some vacation time, and I was away and just in some personal Bible reading came across this verse, and I've loaded it in an app. I'm trying to begin to commit it to memory, but I thought I'd better pull it up. Psalm 55, 22, you may want to jot that down in your margin. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. God's grace is sufficient. For anything you are facing or will ever face in your entire life. But you have to appropriate it every single day. Let's bow our heads together as we pray, please. Father, how we just thank you and praise you that your grace is more than enough. It is sufficient for this day, this moment, this challenge, this opportunity. It is sufficient for everything that has occurred in our past, everything we are encountering in our present, anything that we'll face in the future. Father, it's a grace that's available but has to be appropriated individually and personally. And so, Father, I pray. I pray for every one of us in this room. Lord, as we just marvel at this amazing thing called grace, Would you just show us where we are at in relation to it this morning? Father, I pray knowing that there are perhaps some in this room right here, right now, who need to experience your saving grace. Would you, by your grace, call them to yourself to turn from sin, to turn from self-righteousness, and to turn to you, to turn to Christ and Christ alone, in trust, in faith, in submission? Lord, let today be the day they experience saving grace. Lord, I pray knowing that there are many in this room that need to experience your sufficient and strengthening grace. Lord, would you just, would you just help them right now not to hide their, their weakness, but to bring it before you. Would you help them, Father, just to, just to roll that out and to experience your grace anew and afresh. Father, would you just graciously speak to us in these next few moments. And as you just sit quietly before the Lord.